Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Inspiring Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Pursue, a bespoke leadership coaching and development company with a mission to create, nurture, and develop inspiring leadership across the global education sector and beyond. My name is Nicholas Mackay, Associate Professor, Certified Professional Coach, and Director of Pursue, and I'll be your host as we bring you cutting-edge leadership stories from across the world, delving into the minds of recognised education and industry experts to find out about the challenges and main issues they are facing and to gain insights into inspiring leadership. In this series, we are proud to be in partnership with Independent School Management Plus, an international school magazine, the leading authority and voice for professionals in independent and international education worldwide. And if you'd like to watch the video of today's podcast, please head over to schoolmanagementplus.com. We are also supported by Fabicia, the Federation of British International Schools in Asia, a diverse and inclusive community of 78 leading British international schools spanning 18 countries across the Asia region. And many thanks for your continued engagement and feedback across the podcast platforms. And if you'd like to join the Pursue conversation, you can visit us on our website, pursue.com, LinkedIn and Twitter at Nicholas Mackay and Pursue. Okay, so let's get on with today's episode in which we welcome Major Pat Burgess. Pat joined the British Army in September 1992 and started his career at the 2nd Royal Tank Regiment in Germany. He served with the regiment in Northern Ireland, Canada, Poland, Iraq and Afghanistan in a career that saw him from trooper through tank commander to regimental sergeant major. He has been deployed on operations to Northern Ireland, the invasion of Iraq and three tours of Afghanistan. Pat is currently involved in the implementation of physical awareness training, an approach to bringing mindfulness-based coping strategies into the existing culture of physical training. He has most recently been awarded an MBE in recognition of his tireless work in bringing mindfulness to defence. Pat, thanks so much for joining me today. No, thanks, Nick. It's great to be here. So let's jump straight in then, Pat, because um, I think this is really relevant to, to your career, which I'm, I'm really excited to get to know, actually, from, from you know, tank commander to, to, to mindfulness. Uh, what inspiring leadership looks like to you? Um, inspiring leadership can be in two ways. You can be inspired by a bad leader as well as you can be inspired by a good leader. <laughs> like, right, my time. Um, so so I, I think inspiring leadership is whoever's whoever's leading um, gives you the flavor to either copy or emulate, use a bit of their skills, or to make sure that you don't get anywhere near the way that they lead. Um, and uh, and you've get, you navigate your own path. So so <laughs> so using those leadership skills uh, to enable you to develop your own, as opposed to following, I would suggest. I like the way you put that about you know people inspiring you or not. So in in terms of what kind of leader inspires you, then Pat, what would you say? Yeah. Um, firstly, I, I forgot to say it at the start. These are Pat Burgess's views, not the views of the British. <laughs> of course, yeah. Further, because, um, you know, for me, an inspiring leader, the most inspiring leader I think I've ever come across is is Mahatma Gandhi. I, I'm, I'm amazed that uh, uh, such a almost insignificant looking human being could take on an entire empire um, with non-violence and win. Uh, so that's inspiring leadership for me. Fantastic. And, and just in, in terms of your career i mean what got you into into the military in the first place pat 
Yeah, it's a very interesting story. Um, if you'd have told me at 16 when I was a punk rocker with a black Mohican uh, <laughs> earrings and that year, um, nose pierced, uh, that I would have been in the army at 22, I would never have believed you. <laughs> um, but uh, we do mature as we go through. And, uh, and, I, and I was looking for a career. And by a sheer fluke of finding a badge in my father's um, drawer, which said Fear Nought, which is the cap badge for the Royal Tank Regiment that I am uh, a member of, um, and then going to uh, the careers office and seeing that come up on a screen uh, for one of the regiments that they were advertising for, that's how I literally joined the army. It was just surely fell into it. And did you did you want to go into the tank regiment or was it just generally the military? No, I didn't even generally want to go into the military. I, I saw uh, <laughs> quite a unusual start, really. Um, I was looking for a career. I was interested in travel, but I didn't think to be able to do it, that I had the skills to do it independently. And I wanted a structure around me to me, enable me to do it. Now, this was in 92. So when you mm. think Gulf War One's just happened, and we were in a fairly peaceful time at that stage, uh, no huge conflicts on the horizon. Uh, lots of talk of travel and Frank, those adverts with Frank, like traveling all over the world and all that stuff. It was quite an allure. Um, <laughs> were, so I wanted to join the army, but I didn't know what. Um, and it was just literally um, chance that came across that cat badge that uh, that saw me then go through this incredible career, um, you know, through regimental sergeant major to be a, a major. Now you've sat before you, sir. It's outrageous. <laughs> and, and in terms of the training you, you go through to be a tank commander or, or to be you know in a tank you know take us through some of those some of those elements so yeah it's done over a real graduated period you have to learn right. experience in each of the areas i mean you go through your basic training clearly at the start to become a soldier first yeah and then you go to trade training i mean i was a chieftain gunner that's how old i am right so i was gunning on the chieftain <laughs> battle tank okay uh, and then we got to the regiment we had challenger one so you do your chieftain uh, you do your gunner's course and then you become you do a driver's course then you do a radio operator's course so that sort of gives you the full crewman bit then you know and that can be done over a period of about two years two three years maybe um and then you um, learn to become an operator on the vehicle so load the, the platform load the weapon system uh, as, and as you work up through the turret eventually you become when you reach the rank of full corporal or above you can become a crew commander so a tank commander okay so just take us through this was in a tank how many people are there then four I mean, in a british tank so in the ones we got at the moment so four so you've got your driver yeah you've got your um gunner You've got your loader operator who loads the weapon system, does all the work with the radios, makes the brews and the food as you're on the move. And then you've got <laughs> the commander that's in charge of everything up top. Okay. So, so you take it in turns to do those things or is it a kind of specialised position? Yeah, you, so most people start off as a driver. Mm. And then they get the gunner's qualification. Mm. Uh, then they'll do a loader operator course. Okay. Right, yeah. The sort of icing on the cake, because it's at the top of the vehicle anyway, is mm. the, uh, the commander's job. Okay, and and, and you, you saw combat in uh, in some is it in Iraq? You said, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I was involved in the invasion of of Iraq on um, on Optelic, so you know two thousand and three, um, and then went back and did Telic too. So the sort of bit of the peace enforcement um, bit after the invasion. So yeah, on on a, on a tank. And what was it like, in, kind of going in, being in uh, operational, and actually going into battle? I think it differs for everybody that that, um, that experiences it. Um, we are really well trained. Let's mm. start with that. So you so the, the, you've kind of got the expected happening quite a lot of the time. 
there, but there is an element of surrealism to some of the things that go on around you. And, and you almost have to pinch yourself to realize that this is actually happening for real. Because as much as you train with as, as intelligent a foe as you possibly can to try and replicate what you're going to see, there's no preparation for, for, the, for the actual events. Um, and so, you know, when you sort of, I don't know, one of the craziest moments I think on that tour for me was just um, being next to um, an ammunition dump which blew up, which was blown up. Um, and watching this like huge cloud of explosion and munitions going up to the sky. And I'm on top of my tank watching it and there's bricks, metal, everything like going up in this cloud. I didn't think at that moment that I needed to get inside my tank and close the hatch because I was too busy watching it. <laughs> it was the guy opposite me who was going, get down, get down, get down. And it's like, oh my God, yeah, this is real. And then having to close and then you hear it all raining all over the top of your vehicle when you're, when you're down in. But wow. <clears throat> It's, it's, it's interesting. You adapt as you, um, as you arrive in the situation. So I'm, I'm curious, I suppose, once you've been through that, I'm sure you've, you've seen some difficult things. When you come out of it, how, how do you kind of cope with all those experiences? I think the key is, firstly, we're, um, we're, we're very well provisioned in the military in this area. So, so we have a thing called trauma, um, inf- so trauma management, so TRIM, like trauma risk management system. It enables us to go through um, and discuss and to tease out any areas where people may be holding trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and so therefore we can discuss it. A group inside of people need help to go on beyond it. Um, and, and again, it's just the, some people are built differently to others inter- internally as well as externally. And some people can sort of a process this sort of information without it really leaving too much residue behind. Mm. Unfortunately, one of those people that doesn't really hold on to a great deal of residue. I sort of see things um, occurring in the moment and deal with them in the moment and, um, and then, um, then sort of move on to the next thing without really holding a great deal of residue. But there are, you know, there are people who've clearly struggled and suffered, particularly after the Afghanistan um, tours and stuff that really needed help. Hence why, you know, I started looking into the field I'm in now. I was going to say, so how did you kind of, transitional what ignited you to start looking and exploring mindfulness yeah so um, on the back of the um, herrick 10 tour with a uh, my squadron called egypt um of the second royal tank regiment uh, it was quite a kinetic tour i mean we lost three of our um, squadron who were only 122 strong squadrons so to lose three you know very cl- in a very close-knit squadron uh, and to have about 20 percent life-changing casualties across the whole of the 122 and then seeing those guys come back um and needing help psychological help and going to the department of community mental health but not being able to establish a therapeutic relationship with the counselors because um they've not experienced what these guys have been through so i thought i could probably i was always sort of had an interest in human behavior and stuff so i thought i could do a degree in psychology so i did a degree in um, psychology for the open at the open university uh, with a view to becoming a counselor and then one day turned a page in the textbook and at the same time was reading a book called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, yeah. um, put the two together and thought, mindfulness, that's, they're saying the same thing here. This has just flipped the light on. Um, and uh, then I started exploring mindfulness. So what do you mean they were saying the same thing? So present moment awareness about living in the now, you know, and the fact that most people don't even know what the now is. Most people spend their lives wandering around in locked inside their minds and don't actually experience life. It's so fascinating when you see it, <laughs> but you, but it's therefore really important to get that tool across to people because that's what's causing most people suffering: their inability to live in the present moment. So, what's stopping people 
from living in the present moment, Pat, do you think? It's the, so the ability to, to control your own mind, to be in control of your own mind. What, what happens is people almost forecast what their day is going to look like from the past into the future. So the only point of reference they've got is stuff that they've already experienced. Mm. And they forecast it into the future so that they're preparing themselves for a day, but they don't know what's going to happen. And if you wrote down everything you thought was going to happen that day, that you got up in the morning after you were brushing your teeth and then went back in the evening to have a look at the list of what you thought was going to happen and what the outcomes would be, you probably find none of them or maybe one or two, if you're lucky, came to bear in the way you thought. But you've already set yourself up for that day. I often tell a story about my wife opening the curtains in the morning and if it's raining, she'll turn to me and say, oh, it's a miserable day out there. And I turn and say, uh, the weather's just the weather, my dear. It's you just miserable. Um, because <laughs> <laughs> if, if, you, if you set that precedence for your day and decide that that's how it's going to be and how these things are going to be, you never actually experience the day. You experience your preconceived ideas and therefore you never really live. You just live up here. You're missing everything. So I suppose I've, I've read the, the Power of Now, and I remember re- reading that a few years ago, actually. And it was Eckhart Tolle. He started talking about how he kind of suddenly had this epiphany, didn't he? And, he, and for a year, two years, he was going around and just just experiencing things. And so as people read it and they think, okay, yeah, well, that's not for not that's not for the everyday person. It's for people who become enlightened or Buddha or you know whatever. So how do people start to go about being more mindful? Do you think you know what are some tangible things people can start to do? So, you know, there's lots of courseware out there for starters. You know, the Oxford Mindfulness Centre, Bangor University, there's some really good courses yeah. out there. I did the eight-week um, Oxford Mindfulness Centre course, the NBCT course, mm. and that provided a real framework and a structure for me. Um, so there's courses you can go on, there's some retreats you can go on and stuff to learn. But, but I mean, Headspace is a great start. It's a little yeah. toe in the water to give people an idea that um, to watch their own mind for the first time. No, no people don't do it. People tend to just, you know, be dragged around by this incredible instrument that is the mind, by the way, the most powerful instrument that's ever been created, mm-hmm. contains your entire universe. But you've got to realize that you're in charge of it. It's not in charge of you. Mm-hmm. And when you can f- understand that and watch it operate, you can see the patterns of repeated behavior that it's suggesting to you. Yes. And then you can choose. You, you get this wonderful thing called choice, a gap between stimulus and response. And that gap is the piece that most people are looking for. And then you can learn to focus and you can pay attention, you know, multitasking, massive corporate lie, um, Mm. principle of Zen, do one thing at a time, focus all your attention in the thing you're doing. And then all of a sudden you'd be amazed at the outcome of the things that you do once you've got all your attention focused into it. Um, And and rather than just 10% of it here, 10% of it on your phone, 10% of it on that screen, on the clock, on whatever else it's on and on the story that your mind's telling you at the time. Um, And Productivity increases, well-being increases, just everything improves. Really, it's an interesting, wasn't it? I remember a few years ago, I, I probably spent probably a year and a half. I meditated every day, mm. and I went on a I did a mindfulness-based course for professionals, which I really enjoyed, and uh, got lots of things taken out of that. You know, and the coaching that I, that I do now, I'm coaching quite a few, few people in India and across India, and uh, you know, the amount of people who say they get up very early and they, they have a, a routine. Um, and that routine is not just maybe in the morning, but they have like a stop at lunch and do something, then reflect there, and then they reflect in the evening. I suppose it is quite difficult, isn't it, to try and get all these things into your schedule. I suppose this is the whole point, paradox, isn't it? If you're really, really busy and you're thinking, I haven't got time to be mindful, I haven't got time to meditate. I mean, do, do, do you find people saying that? Yeah, lots of people say that. The first thing, to be in the present moment, you're already in it. Hmm. 
So that doesn't take any extra time. But you just got to realize you're in it. So, you know, if you're making a cup of tea, um, actually try making a cup of tea rather than doing it as a means to an end. If you're walking to it, let's, you know, let's use an example of, uh, of going to a meeting. So if someone's walking to a meeting, uh, on the way to the walk to the meeting, it may be an external walk. In the, uh, the, on that time when they're walking down, all that's happening in their head is they're preparing themselves for the meeting. Who's going to be in there? What they've got to say? All this, that, and the other all going on. Maybe a little bit about what's going on later in the day. Anyway, mm. eventually they get into the meeting, sit down. They're not even there now. They're already next. They're moving on to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, constantly going into a future that's a figment of their imagination. So, so um, being in the present moment takes you no extra time. Paying attention to making a cup of tea, pay attention to that walk, listen to the birds sing, listen to, you know, watch the scenery, see people, like really see them. Um, that takes no extra time. But you do have to practice to enable yourself to be mindful. And that's where the little meditation practices come in. And so fitting that into your day. And I often say that, that mindfulness isn't pink or fluffy. Mindfulness is actually hard work. You have to be disciplined. You have to be determined um, to give that time up. But as you all have experienced, when you do, you then reap the benefits. And the benefits are enormous. Um, but you've got to give up that little bit of time. And it may only be 20 minutes in the morning, each morning. It may be just getting up 20 minutes earlier. You know, I haven't got time to do that. And your mind will always tell you why not. Hmm. It's great at that. No, <laughs> I ain't got time for that. Far too busy. You got this to do, you got that to do. Yeah. I got more stuff to keep you occupied. Uh, don't you worry about sitting down and looking at me. Oh, don't do that. Uh, actually, try doing that. It really helps. It's really, really true, actually. So many excuses. And, and in terms of the work that you do with people in the military, what's you know, take us through that. What's that based around? So um, I, there's various things that I'm doing in the military. So I've, I've created an eight-week course based around the um, – MBSR stroke MBCT, you know, Cabot's in yep. Oxford Mindfulness Centre courses. Um, I created an online version of that and put that out to defence um, on the army internet. And so it's accessible to anybody now. So it goes external to the army. I've got people in Singapore army on it, uh, people in Australia, people all over the place do, just doing this course. It's pretty crazy, really. Um, then I created my own eight-week course, which I delivered here at the Armour Centre in Bovington, where I'm based. Uh, but that, now I do that on Zoom for defence. So I do a weekly session, an eight-week course. I'm trying to do four per year. But I can only take 20 students at a time, but then do a proper virtual session. And now I'm, and, and now I came up with this idea of the best place for it to be is in physical training, because it's something that we do all the time. So in the Army, we do three sessions of physical training a week, mandated. So um, if, if it's fitted in there and it's taught by a physical training instructor who was, you know, pretty svelte, handsome devils, big muscles, <laughs> what people sort of aspire to be, if they know how to deliver this, um, it comes with some real credibility. And, mm. and if you're getting a little bit of mindfulness every sort of three days or whatever with your PT, um, slowly but surely you start to build up that level of awareness. And that's what I'm trying to bring in at the moment um, by training physical training instructors to bring that in. So, so sort of a three-pronged attack. And then there's the Defence Mindfulness Steering Group, um, which has got over 600 members um, across defence. And this year we're running a, um, an international symposium for other defences. So we've got the America, Australia, Canada, Singapore. Um, we're just sort of drawing in uh, Germany, France, Denmark, just draw, drawing in like, so that everybody can see what each other are doing in this field and how can we collaborate and, and make this work sort of better for all defence. I like that, that idea that, you know, the physical aspect is focused upon a lot in the military. So it's kind of marrying that, I suppose, with a kind of more spiritual mindfulness way. 
And in terms of the kind of people who come on the courses, I mean, you know, is it through all different ranks or is it certain people who come on or? Yeah, it's very wide and varied. I mean, I go and do these talks. So I do like an um, hour-long mindfulness, plain and simple talk, and I'll deliver it to units all over the place. They request me. Uh, I'm doing one in, after this, actually, for for this for my own location. But basically, I sort of debunk mindfulness. I uh, strip away all the, the mala beads and the tie-dye and all that stuff, <laughs> uh, which is all lovely if, you, if it's, not, it's what you like. That's great. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. But I strip all that back and show them how accessible mindfulness is and then sort of deliver it. Now, I deliver that from private soldier up to brigadier and beyond. Um, and I initially meet resistance, um, but um, but then by the end of it, um, I'll have them all meditating mm. and knowing that they're meditating um, because they because they realise you just show hold them up a mirror and show them how crazy they are every day. Mm. You do this every day. You realise this. Right? <laughs> you all know it. I ask people how many of their thoughts every day of the sixty thousand thoughts that are going through their head every day. How many of them do you think are productive in terms of a percentage? Mm. Most people say below ten percent. Yeah. And I say, you already know that. So you know that you're wasting 90% of your mental energy. Mm. Do you want to do something about it? <laughs> <laughs> you make it sound so simple, but, but yeah, it's true. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. And I suppose you mentioned about resistance. You know, what barriers do you have to overcome in that environment, in the military environment, to sort of sell mindfulness? I think I'm quite fortunate in terms of the because I've got experience. So having spent 28 years, um, been deployed in operations, being in the combat arms, um, it does help to sort of knock down those barriers in the yeah. first instance because people can see it from a point of view from someone who's you know who's experienced some of those things. So that really really helps. Um, you know, the younger generation much more engaged. Um, there's obviously the barriers of um, of ego. You know, there's lots of arm folding and stuff like that at the top, mm. and then we're watching each other. It's like someone said to me this morning. It's like no one goes to. It's like a cafe. <laughs> if loads of people are going in that cafe or that restaurant, there must be a good place to go. So everyone's got to go. So you've got to break that bit first. <laughs> Once you get people on board, and you've got to do that with humour. You've got to do it with like um, irreverence. You've got to use every tool that's at your disposal. You know, I literally start the talk and I am just hammering them for about the first 20, 30 minutes to, into submission almost. But only just funnily, mm. like just showing them really obvious, you know, observations of where the mind is leading people astray. And, then, and eventually it sort of drops in and they're like, OK, yeah, we can actually do something about this. And in terms of you hear a lot about the benefits of mindfulness and, and actually I got the book out last night and I haven't read it for years. It was booked by Tim Lomas, um, who did some research, I think on, um, I think it was a cross section of men. It's about 10 years ago now, about part of his PhD research. And it's about masculinity and mindfulness and about how some people, like you say, really engage with it. Other people, um, didn't see it as being masculine or, or quite manly. And it's something that, you know, other people did. Um, and he did some research about that. And he kind of found, just to, to summarize, I suppose, that for some people, it wasn't as beneficial. It wasn't the right time for them to be mindful. They weren't ready, maybe, to be on their own with their thoughts or to be quite settled. Do, do you find there's a certain kind of um, stage in people's career or lives that makes them more open to mindfulness power? Or is, does, it, does, does, it, does it matter? I think... Firstly, I agree with what you're saying that there are um, certain people that are at certain stages in their lives, but that's by the individual. It's not like an age group. I won't, I won't pick an age group out and say you're the right age group. Maybe in a school scenario, yeah. I would be moving more towards sort of 10 years above plus 
because they've got a longer attention span. So you mm. can actually, you know, there's a there's a better way of um, teaching. Certainly for me, from the experience that I come from. But um, people have all got different journeys and are all coming at it from different places. Sometimes it comes at exactly the right time. What, what I, the way I see this is it's part of a suite or a picnic blanket full of food, right? We're all sat down at a picnic, you, me, and all my mates and your mates. And um, I like olives, but you don't. So uh, I'm going to eat some olives. That could be mindfulness in this case. And you're going to want cheese because you want to do some mental resilience training instead because it sounds like tougher, mm. you know. Um, and so so there's a suite of stuff that you can give to people. Um, but to be honest, you, you know, the, the, the basic mindfulness, mindful awareness, the basic awareness of the way that the mind is running the show without any control from most human beings, that's a really important observation that people need to be aware of, I think just to enable them so so to to give that one hour brief to everyone that i can get in that organization gives them the taste and then there's you can do some follow-on resources do you want to come on my course well there's a course you can come on the course if you want to learn more if not at least i know i've given you something mm. and it may come and mature later i've thrown that seed out that might hit some rocky ground at the moment mm. but in a couple of years time it might be a bit of soil there and it might grow and you might want to come back to it so it's interesting. Maybe it's kind of, kind of got parallels with religion sometimes. As people are drawn to it in, in difficult times, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You know, you said about awakening. You know, say so you said about Eckhart Tolle and stuff like that. Most of most people that awaken like that, it comes through a catastrophic thing mm. that's happened in their life. You know, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh my god, and everything they thought was permanent evaporates, and then you learn that nothing is permanent. Deal with it. And it's like, oh my god. <laughs> But that's quite scary, though, isn't it, Pat? If you tell us nothing's yeah. permanent, everything that you believe is not true, it's kind of like, well, okay, well, what is what's reality then? <laughs> so, what well, reality is what you experience. Just <laughs> I'll take you. Got, you just got to take the, the the layers out of it, haven't you? We've mm. we've got these preconceived and preconditioned layers that we've learned. Everything we know, everything we forecast in it out, has come from the past. We're we're literally not learning anything new unless we're aware of this. Mm. We're, we're just repeating patterns over and over and over again mm. and taking other people's information forward with us mm. and never experiencing anything new. And, and, and it's tragic mm. um, because we just, that, that's why we just keep making the same mistakes. That's why, yeah, that's why they say history repeats it does itself. Yeah, it does uh, <laughs> because you're not learning. <laughs> you're not opening <laughs> your eyes. <laughs> Open your eyes, people. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. I, t- I tell you what's interesting. I find I was speaking to. Maybe it was Sadam Amo on the, the the National Boxing Champion on a couple of series um, ago, a couple of episodes ago. But I was saying, for me, there's a couple of things that that I, that I find that really, really um, just blank my mind, and that's swimming. If I go, if I if I swim, you know, whether it's half an hour, an hour, whatever it is, it's one of the only things that I get out of the pool and my mind's completely clear in a kind of mindfulness state. And when I'm actually swimming, I find it very mindful. I do yoga, and I suppose after yoga, when I get the breathing right, it's that, you know, not empty is the wrong word, but things dissipate. Um, and I think also being outside, and you know, I do a lot of coaching outside when I can, and I think it's got it's a lovely um, way of engaging in what's going on. You mentioned the birds singing, and you know, you, you kind of notice the birds are singing, but they're always singing. But there's only certain times that you notice them. So in terms of mindfulness that you do, is it mostly kind of indoors or, or do you do like mindfulness and walking meditations and these kind of things as well? Yeah. So when I do the, the stuff with the PTIs, firstly, the eight week course, I use that as pre-course for PTIs right. to, before they go on the physical attention training. Um, and so, so that part, that eight week course is only an hour a week 
but for eight weeks, mm. uh, practicing mindfulness, learning the skills. Then when it comes to the physical tra- attention training, it's about bringing it into physical activity. So not only is it in the gym, when you're doing an in-session um, breathing session or some stretching or a body scan. Also, mindful motion, where you take it into running, you take it into tabbing, you take it into patrolling, you can take it into all of these things. Because what it does is, you know, I say you take that preconceived idea of you with you into, let's say you're going down a patrol lane, right? And you and you think that there's going to be like friend and foe down there and you've got to discern between which is which and which is the other. Mm-hmm. You can get yourself into quite a heightened state before you go mm-hmm. down there and you may have already decided what the outcomes are going to be and that could cause a mistake. But what you could also do is um, do a, a sort of a, the mindful walk in the mindful motion practice. And what that does is it brings you into the present moment. So you are reacting intuitively to the things that are going on around you rather than on a pre-recording. The, the best way of demonstrating how that works properly is if you look at someone like Bruce Lee fine. Bruce Lee never thought when he fought, when he fought, never brought his mind into it at all. Mm. He, he All the training he does in in preparation is all done beforehand and then when he fights he just flows and that's how that works because it cuts out it makes things much quicker you know you, you don't have to think second guess any of that stuff you act mm. and and that's sort of um that's the kind of the best way of, of sort of an- analogizing it i suppose bringing it in. so i suppose it's like you say it's, it's being in, in flow isn't it mm. and getting your mind out of the way I, I, I sort of used it um, at my regiment, the uh, Raw Tank Regiment, and with the boxing team, uh, and teaching them mindfulness at the end of a particularly grueling session, so that where, so that they realised that training was training and fighting was fighting, and um, and all the skills that they were learning and the drills they were learning when they got in the ring, if they switch that mind off and just fight, all of that will come through, and they'll be much faster than their opponent because their opponent will be too busy thinking about is it is it left up now? Oh, I don't know what I should be doing now, whereas they're just like doing it. This is about kind of decision-making as well, isn't it, Pat, I suppose? It's, it's getting rid of the, the, the kind of cycle and things and making informed decisions that are based on maybe the reality rather than what you think is going to happen. Mm. Yeah, and, and when you can see when you get that, I mean, don't, don't, so I'm not saying don't use the mind, by the way. Mm. Like I said, most powerful instrument ever created. The, 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 you can build with it, plan with it, create with it, it but, but use it. Don't let it use you. So where it goes wrong is when people let the mind use them and then catastrophize about the things that are going to happen. Mm. And then it makes puts them into fight, flight, freeze type responses, mm. losing access to the prefrontal cortex. So you've got no, you know, you can't make correct decisions, losing access to memory mm. and just acting. You know, sometimes that can be really badly. It can go badly wrong. Mm. So, so it's being aware when those things are happening. It's being in charge of that amazing tool and, uh, and using it. Um, rather than just walking around. Most people think I'm talking about just walking around in the state of just like, whoa, man, what an amazing day. That's not, <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being there, actually being there, turning up and living. Don't live in the past. Don't live in the future. Neither of them exist. Turn up and be in the present moment uh, and, and take yourself into it and then see what happens. Phenomenal. So, okay, let's have a little, little example here. Again, as we mentioned before, a lot of the people who listen to this show in education, so just say that you're, you're about to go out and deliver a, a big um, speech. You're anxious, understandably, because say you've got lots of parents, maybe you've got um, the board of governors, you've got all these different people there, you've got your peers, your colleagues. What kind of um, advice would you, or techniques maybe would you give to them? They're just about to go off onto the stage and deliver this kind of uh, speech yeah there's there's two techniques i probably 
um, talk about that. One of them is, I, I, I use this wonderful one called the body, uh, it's contact point meditation. So whatever your body's in contact with, um, you focus your attention on that. So you start with your breath first. Because re- remember, the mind, all of that anxiety is mind generated. Mm. So the mind's generating all of this um, you know, agitation, anxiety. The body's responding. Heart rate's changing, breathing's changing, palms are sweating, throat's mm. getting dry, uh, starting to lose access to the memory, starting to lose access to the prefrontal cortex because I'm going into like survival mode at this moment in time. Mm. Uh, and then uh, wonder why you can't perform when you get out on the stage. Um, so that so you need to create stasis, establish homeostasis, bring your mind and your body in concert with one another. And and by doing focusing your attention breath first, not trying to breathe, not breathing, I'm not talking breathing exercises. I'm talking about noticing actual breathing, what's really going on. And then moving through the body down to the feet, where they're in contact with the floor, the backside, if you're sat down on a chair, um, where are your hands, feeling all the things that are going on around you, and then bringing that all back down through until you know that the, the stasis has been established. Uh, and then go out, because I always say this technique's brilliant for exams, for, for kids that are you know, taking exams, for mm-hmm. example. Um, if you're doing an exam and you turn over the page and you see the first question, and although you've been studying this subject for a year, you look at it and go, oh, I have absolutely no idea what that question is asking me. We've all been there, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, well, people think that it's, it's them that's at fault. Well, all that's mm. happened is they've gone into freeze mode. Mm. You know, they're in survival mode. So you do a really simple technique like that, paying attention to the body, feeling the physical feelings and sensations, letting the mind wander but not paying attention to it, attending to the physical sensations in the body. You establish that balance again. The mind stops its chit-chat. Everything gets nicely balanced. Then you look at the piece of paper. You've got access to the prefrontal cortex. You've got access to your memory, and all of a sudden you've got access to the answers because you studied it. Mm. It's the stress that freezes you and stops you getting to it. So you, you've got to move out of that. And the way to move out of that is to use this vessel that people ignore. You know, they, you're in it. You're walking around in it every single day. People don't even know they're in it half the time. I get people to focus on their toes and they feel them tingling and like, oh, I've got toes. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a funny, wasn't it? I mean, and I suppose those techniques, Pat, I mean, as soon as you started saying that, I thought, you know, what are people's kind of, you know, some of the biggest fears? It's things like going to the dentist, isn't it, for example, going to the doctors or um, speaking in front of people, whatever it is. It's all the same, similar kind of uh, reactions, isn't it? And people say, you know, oh, yeah, a little amount of stress is really good for you. Mm. Have you ever said that? Well, whoever gave anybody that idea? It's not, really. Mm. Naturally, if you have to respond to a life or death situation, you'll be amazed how quickly your body sends the energy to the right mm. area so therefore you can cope with the situation that really is danger. Mm. But if it's you thinking a danger, if you creating an issue, creating the problem and responding, it's almost like being in a virtual world. It's like playing FIFA and feeling yeah. like you're playing football on the computer. You know, all of the feelings there, less the actual pain of tackles and sliding and all that stuff going on. Mm. Um, it's, it's that kind of thing. You're just creating it. So therefore, if you know that you're, it's just the link between the mind and the body that's creating that, um, you, you sort of you, you focus on the real thing. What's my body saying is happening right now? I'm, I'm safe perfectly safe where i am my backside's on the seat my feet are on the floor um everything is working the way that it should be i'm not in any danger whatsoever get my breath bring it all back into concert with each other and then where you go i feel quite relaxed just you know hearing you say that actually Pat. i thought it's great one thing actually i wouldn't mind getting your thoughts on is you mentioned that virtual world yeah 
but a lot of us do live in a virtual world now, especially with like during lockdowns and these kind of things. Our only way of communicating is being on social media, being on Zoom, etc. So I suppose a lot of us already are in this virtual world, which kind of has a there's a distance between maybe reality and what someone's persona is online, for example. How yeah. does all that fit into mindfulness? Well, firstly, we're doing this now, aren't we? So, so yeah. we're, we're, play, we're in the virtual world right now, you and I having this conversation. Uh, I think it's down to authenticity, firstly, um, you know, living the authentic life. Like this, this need um, to compare ourselves to everybody all the mm. time and to therefore try to be different from everybody all the time mm. um, is, the, is kind of like the biggest problem. I, I love this little story about um, Dalai Lama coming over to the West for a visit and, and going into this room full of people and his host in the States says to him, uh, yeah, in the room we've got some pretty eminent people, um, but uh, they've all got little problems. Um, you know, we'd really appreciate you talking to him. So he goes around and asks the first person, you know, everything okay? The guy goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, I hear there's a few problems in that. The guy goes, yeah, I suffer from uh, really low self-esteem. And he goes around the room to everybody and, you know, comes back to his host and he goes, oh, how was that, your, your holiness? How did you find that? And he goes, oh, yeah, it was really interesting. Um, everyone said they had really low self-esteem. And the host said, yeah, yeah, so do I. And the Dalai Lama said, um, what's self-esteem? And the guy goes, what's well, the way you feel about yourself? And he said, well, how many of you are there? He said, you're telling me that there are two of you because you've got somebody able to look at themselves and say how they feel about themselves when there's only ever one. And then there's that lovely saying, neither love yourself nor hate yourself. Just be yourself. Yeah. Just be. Um, d- d- you, you're, you're exactly what you're supposed to be. You, you're in the right place at the right time. You couldn't physically be anywhere else. It's, in, it's impossible. Mm. So just use what you got. You'd be amazed. Well, doors start opening everywhere. Phenomenal. It's that, it's that saying, isn't it? We're not human beings. So we're not human doings. We're human beings. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, just sort of not to challenge that, but when we are busy – how do we still be when we're doing? Yes, yeah, so, so we've got to define busy, haven't we? You know, if we're, if we're, if we're splitting up those tasks, that principle of Zen, one, mm. so principle of Zen, do one thing at a time, multitasking, absolute corporate lie. Mm. Um, so if we're doing one thing at a time and we're focusing <laughs> our attention on that one thing, um, all of our attention's going into that one thing, we're going to get the best out of that one thing. And people say, oh, God, yeah, you don't know my boss. You don't know my boss. He gives me loads and loads of priorities. Yeah, okay, who owns the priorities when they arrive at you? Mm. You do. So what's your priority? Pick it. Be disciplined. Stick with it. Uh, I would rather have one person in my workforce that does one amazing piece of work for me than one that does 10 half-hearted efforts at 10 other projects and they're just Mm. rubbish. I would much rather that. So, so it's about our own self-discipline. It's about our ability to realize what's important and what's not, and then take ourselves into that. Don't see a task as a means to an end. You know, we, we, we do little jobs like cleaning and stuff like that. You know, if you've got to clean the house and, uh, oh, my God, it looks like such an awful task before you've even started it. Well, guess what the task is going to be like if you've already set that parameter? It's going to be awful. How's about, you know, breaking it down into bite-sized chunks and really paying attention to the bits that you're doing? You know, and suddenly it turns into a task that's really not that bad, actually. In fact, it's quite enjoyable. It can almost be cathartic in its in its way. So, so it's about your perspective. Don't let that preconceived thought, that pre, you know, the one that's preloaded there that tells you this is going to be awful, run that show. Let that go. Focus your attention on what it is you're actually doing and get the real feedback in the moment. And then you'll be amazed at how enjoyable stuff is. I like the way you said that about you know, concentrating on one thing at one time. And I think it made me think about, you know, le- leadership 
and how often leaders will try and throw lots of things at people. You need to be doing this, 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 or your appraisals, eight or nine different points. And that kind of sometimes throws people into a bit of a spin, doesn't it? Like I say, I've got too much on my plate. I'm getting a bit, I can't cope. Can't do that. I haven't got the time to do that and everything else. I suppose it's for leaders to be mindful just as much as people say, you know, other people who are maybe having to enact those actions. Lovely, lovely analogy is an ironing board, right? So, um, so to work with me on this one. It's a bit weird. But, um, <laughs> I'm with you, Pat, don't I? Imagine you're ironing pile <laughs> yeah. and uh, you take off a, a pair of trousers and you iron one leg and then you take a shirt off and start on the collar yeah. and then take down some underpants and start ironing that. Do you iron your underpants? And then take Not, not anymore, no. <laughs> start ironing that. But what happens is you end, then end up with an ironing board full of unfinished kit. Um, mm. Nobody does that. Mm. So why do we do it with our tasks? What, what, why do we, you iron one bit, you fold it up. But then when you finish, you get this amazing sense of mm. achievement and completion, or as mm. the Americans like to call it, closure. Mm. Um, and, and then you move on to the next thing. And so you almost, you should almost look at your inbox like an ironing pile and just go, well, I'm right, okay, I'm just, doing, I'm just doing one thing at a time. And I've decided what the priority is. Uh, and so therefore, I'm taking responsibility. And it's the same from the top right the way down. Mm. Mm, go iron it. <laughs> I quite like ironing actually, but I always have done. Yeah, I always have done. There is something quite cathartic about it and quite, you know, neat. And it's, it's like accomplishment, isn't it? You look at their, you know, even last night I was doing some iron and I hung it up and I thought, yeah, I've got that quite, quite nicely, actually. Got the seams all done and it's, yeah, it's done. It's completed. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. No, I do like that. Um, what I'm interested in, just to, to unpick it again here, Pat, is around education. Because I know that you go into something to some schools and doing a mindfulness. So just take us through a little bit about what you do around that. Yeah, so um, the local school here, Bovington Academy, um, I was invited over there to do some mindfulness sessions um, for them, uh, sort of at various um, age groups. Started off with a really young and then went through the whole sort of age group of the primary school ages. Um and, and then um, when with COVID, we started doing some virtual stuff. So they went back into school after the first lockdown. Mm. And so I was doing like a Zoom or a, not Zoom, but I can't remember what the platform was now, but it was Google Meet or something like that. So I was doing Google sessions for them too. And that was for the two older year groups, the years five and six as I was teaching. And just taking them through some really basic um, mindfulness practices explaining how the mind has this propensity to create um, scenarios that are challenging out of things that necessarily aren't um, and and how they can notice those thoughts and therefore what's the easiest way to deal with them. Really simple techniques like finger breathing, you know, get them to in on the out breath and then on the, so on the, sorry, on, on the in breath to the top, out breath to the bottom, do little simple techniques like that just to enable them to create some balance and calm, S- restoring stasis in all intents and purposes that's what they're doing um and i'm about to go in i think um shortly i'm still waiting for them to contact me but i've been sort of given a tip off they want me to help them with transition so from primary to secondary school then you know that fear of leaving the small pond uh, and then going into the <laughs> into the very large one where they become a very small fish and you know and it's all but it's all the same thing it's all mm. it's all anxiety created by the mind deciding that something's going to be a way that that and creating a future that doesn't exist uh, and enabling them to draw attention to it. You know, and I, and I said briefly, you know, earlier on about sort of you know, developing some work with Glasgow and Caledonia University as well, hopefully working with their sort of counselling and um, doctorate and master's students and doing a bit of work in there. So, you know, education, prisons, I've been into Earl Stoke Prison, um, the military, you just sort of, there's, there's, a, there's a wide variety of this and it fits in most of these sort of areas i think 
just in terms of education, Pat, and you probably mentioned it previously, kind of what age would you start doing mindfulness with, with children? You can start at the youngest age, you know, really, really, you can start at preschool. You know, Dalai Lama famously said um, that if you taught all the children of the world mindfulness, there would be uh, no more conflict. Mm. Uh, because you so you can start really really young teaching um, children but you need to really know what you're doing with that a group know what's the length of their attention span to, so it doesn't become a chore you know and so what can i do you know you can use something like you can use a cuddly toy put a cuddly toy on the belly of a very small child and get them to breathe whilst led down and then they mm. watch their breathing in action and then it focuses their attention that's a really skill you know really simple tool to use and then as they start to get older you notice i did a little um I did a little technique just to gauge their attention. I thought it was quite, quite funny. I did, it was kind of unintentional, but it worked brilliantly. I just held up one of those, um, you know, like a, like a gong thing, like rang a bell. Yeah. One, but one of those ones that really resonates and goes on for a long time. And I, and I banged it. And, um, and, I, and I asked them to put their hands up um, when the sound stopped. And they did it in age groups. So the really young ones, <laughs> they heard the ding and put their hand up. And then as they get older, the very last group at the end were the last ones to put their hand up because they listened right till the end of the sound. And to me, that was a gauge of their their attention. Mm. So how long could I hold their attention? So therefore, what do I need to teach them? Uh, and that was really helpful. When I knew that they could go on for that period, I can teach them some slightly longer meditation practices knowing they'll come with me. So. So, yeah, it's quite fascinating. So um, you can teach at any age, but make sure you've got the skills for the ages that you're teaching and, you, and that you're aware of their, their, their length of, uh, you know, in, of attention. Mindfulness in Schools Project, doing some brilliant work. Yeah, it's fantastic. I've, I've got a um, – on, on the course that, that I do with teacher training, that there was a, a trainer who was doing some stuff in um, mindfulness in Singapore with the students, sort of along the same lines. And, and then, of course, as soon as they did with the students, the staff wanted to get involved and – you know, it's a great pr- bit of action learning project that, that she's, she's doing. So I think there's a massive place for it. And I love the way that with it, putting the hands up like a domino effect going down the age group. Really? So yeah, I love that. Visible. I hadn't considered that. I'm going to look <laughs> and I watched it and I was like, that is amazing. I couldn't have asked for a better physical representation <laughs> of what I'm trying to achieve. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, thank you so much for coming on today, Pat. Just just before we, I, I give a little bit of an outro today is... Um, and I ask all my guests, it's about a piece of advice that you'd give to yourself at the start of your career. Um, so I love it. Hindsight. Um, people say hindsight's a wonderful thing. Uh, and I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Beat themselves up with hindsight. Um, it's not a good thing at all. Um, I wouldn't change anything. D- live your life is what I'd say. I wouldn't, give, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be going back and giving myself the advice because um, I would avoid all of the lessons that I learned. Suffering creates lessons, creates learning, creates growth, creates the person that you are today. Just live your life, be yourself and, um, and genuinely be yourself uh, and experience it. That's, that's what you're here for. That's kind of the best advice I could give. Thanks, Pat. And um, for people who want to, I love that, by the way. And for, for people who want to um, know or learn a little bit more what you do, want to get in touch, what's the best way of doing that? Uh, so I have a website. It, everything's free. Don't worry, I don't know. It's, it's uh, www.oneworldmindfulness. It's all one word, oneworldmindfulness.co.uk. And there's an eight-week free course on that, which is the one that's on the military um, website. Uh, there's also uh, some mindfulness, plain and simple, like a five-day series. So you can do like a short 10-minute practice of each one with a little explanatory video before each one. There's a podcast on there from Declassified. Uh, there'll be another podcast podcast on there soon. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so it's, um, it's great. It's just, that, and that's a really good way of seeing what, what I'm doing. 
and then there's an opportunity to get in touch. And if you want to get in touch, please do. I'm always open to deliver briefs across, you know, anywhere, across defence, across anything, just so that I can raise awareness for this incredible tool. Thank you so much. Really, really enjoyed having you on the show today, Pat. And uh, best of luck. We'll obviously keep in touch, with, but best of luck with all the uh, initiatives that you're doing. It sounds like you're doing a great job and congratulations on the MBE as well. Thanks, Nick. Thanks. Many thanks to Pat. And if you're interested in elevating your leadership practice in partnership with Pursue through our coaching and leadership development packages, or would like to connect to discuss any of the topics on the show, please send me an email at hello at pursue.com or visit our website pursue.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Nicholas Mackay or Pursue. And if you enjoy the show, please leave a rating and spread the word. We are proud to be developing a truly global community. Take care and look forward to speaking to you again soon.